Rodney, what's up today, Epsom man? Epsom salt. Nope. Nope. We did that one already. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you got for us today? Drinking then? magnesium. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. So now you drink it, you spritz it, and you still haven't told me how you apply it for Epsom salt. Well, Epsom salt's in the bath. I just put it in the bath water. Oh, but I drink it. it in a cocktail at night that consists of... Usually sparkling water, a little bit of kombucha, and then there's this stuff. It's called Natural Calm. This is not an endorsement for Natural Calm. I'm sure there's other ways to get it, but it's like an effervescent powder that's got magnesium in it, and I throw that in, and it makes my sparkling water that much more sparkly, and it actually, it tastes kind of good to me, <laughs> and, uh, and and you sleep better as well. Yeah. Magnesium, mm-hmm. mag- like magnesium, potassium, they're like really important for um, cells regulating all the other stuff, well, and also uh, sodium. Those three are really important for your cells being able to regulate what they take in and, and put out. And uh, hmm. yeah, so it's been very beneficial for me. I highly recommend well, at least just one of the ways. If if I was going to recommend one, I would say either spraying it on or taking a bath in it because hmm. you, your body absorbs it. For some reason, magnesiums absorb more readily through the dermis. Or the skin. That's the skin. Boys yeah. and girls. Yeah. Well, hey, and if you also want you can drink it. I think I've covered all the ways. My work is done here, uh, but I will be here all week. So tip your waiters. Sweet. Sweet. <laughs> welcome to or welcome back to More in Common. This here is our experiment in conversation. See, everybody has a story that can help us learn from one another. So we bring people into this safe space that we've learned to create so that we can learn their stories and learn from them and get into some difficult and challenging topics and conversation. Through having so many conversations, we're seeing a lot of similar threads weave through all of them. We're breaking down the conversations to create tools and a map to help you become a conversation boss so that you can become a catalyst for connection in your everyday life. Got to remind you, go check out our website, moreincommonpod.com. That's where you can find all things more in common one plug a plug for the national day of unplugging march 1st is coming up right now we're partnered with Lil space and text less live more so if you get out the Lil space download the app you can still get in for the rest of thursday the 28th you can participate because we're giving a dollar for every hour people unplug using the Lil space app and then march 1st is the national day of unplugging you set some time aside to get off that phone get in there with your family go spend some time working on you go spend some time with your friends family and uh get off these devices that are just running us so yeah get after it i want to thank you all for joining us on this journey whether you like hearing our amazing guest stories or you just want to understand better how to navigate difficult conversation we love having you and look if you got friends and family and you think they could benefit from this send it to them because we'd love to have them as well it's kind of weird today i'm out here solo i'm traveling for work and keith and his wife just had a, a little one in addition to the family so he's taking a little time off i'm running everything by myself so this intro is kind of weird because it's just me talking in our last episode we had jansen we've known jansen for quite a while since so like the the mid 2000s used to work with him i was talking to Keith about what he liked about the episode and something that stuck out to him was that race relations don't start, stop, or end in the U.S. They have a a global, there's a global impact and it's a global conversation. With Jansen being in Toronto, it was our first time to really have a conversation with somebody about race outside of the U.S. It really just highlights like he's doing the wise, he's created the Wise Men Collective in order to make sure that black men are seen in a positive light, doing positive things, building up their communities, healthy relationships, and it's much needed. It's it's needed in Toronto, it's needed all over, and because there's just so many negative stereotypes that exist, and uh, just gotta we gotta tear them down one at a time. Outside of that, I just really enjoy the. thoughtful manner with which Jansen approaches everything. Just a very cerebral, very logical approach. And he's willing to question everything. His approach is just so well thought out and and also curious at the same time. Like he's very well thought out, but but willing to consider a point of view. And I think that was illustrated really well in our conversation about optimism and pessimism, which was one of my favorite parts of that conversation. Looking forward to this week, we have a new guest. Imagine that. And we have the the multi-talented Mel Jones. Mel Jones is a producer and director, uh, a graduate of Howard University. She earned her MFA 
at the American Film Institute in producing. She worked in development at Participant Media under producer Jonathan King and marketing guru Ricky Strauss for a while. Um, a project involved fellow Jones-assisted veteran producer and L.A. Film Festival director Stephanie Allen and a gig which turned into a five-year stint as a producer of Diversity Speaks, one of the festival's signature programs. She also served as an associate producer on Justin Simeon's Sundance hit, Dear White People, which I'm sure a lot of people have seen. Right now, she made her directional debut with Lamert Park, an indie episodic which premiered at Sundance in 2018, and she's the president of production for Homegrown Pictures. So she's staying extremely busy. So we were very fortunate to get some time uh, with her. Some of the things we cover, we go into a whole lot. We talk about one of the first things we get into is social justice and uh, her ideas about it being a choice. And that's where the title for this episode comes from, Make Better Choices. And her growing up in Virginia, which oddly enough, that's where I am right now as I record this in my hotel room. Talk about her dad's impact to her desire to tell stories, her time at Howard, her time in Thailand, the importance her first corporate gig had on her career, living in the hood, why she loves it and her perspective of it, gentrification, HBCUs going away from their roots, the importance of intuition, masculinity and femininity, and then her show Lamert Park. So we get into a lot. So I'm going to shut up. I'm going to stop talking. Let's get into it. Sometimes you have to understand. I think that this is how I am isn't the correct answer in my opinion. It's this is how I choose to be. And so if we know that everything is a choice, maybe we can make better choices about, you know, how we want our world to look and take responsibility for being a part of that. Like coming off of an HBCU and like being around like all black people and, you know, this very homogenous situation to then going to Thailand and being the other was a very interesting experience, like going back to back. And it really, for me, like opened my eyes to how alike we all are as, you know, quote unquote Westerners. Like I couldn't read anything and, you know, couldn't talk to anybody. And I was obviously, you know, typically not a part of that community, but so are white people. And so when we would see each other, it'd be like, what up? You speak English? What you doing? You know, like, where are we going? Like, you know, now we're together. Now we're fine. You know what I mean? Welcome to or welcome back to More In Common. Uh, if you've been here before, today we are with Mel Jones. Hi. <laughs> Good. Hi, Mel. <laughs> hey. So right off the top, I have to ask, when at the beginning when we asked you about social justice, you said it's about making better choices. Uh-huh. Yeah. What do you mean by that like, at a deeper level? Well, I think that we're all programmed to a certain degree, you know, to think a certain way, to be a certain way because of wherever we come from and whoever taught us how to be how we are. And so in some of the ways that we were taught don't necessarily serve us in this world, in this day, in this time. And so sometimes you have to understand, I think that this is how I am isn't the correct answer in my opinion. It's this is how I choose to be. And so if we know that everything is a choice, maybe we can make better choices about, you know, how we want our world to look and take responsibility for being a part of that. Um, Being intentional versus habitual. Being intentional versus habitual. Exactly right. So, yeah. So, like, knowing, like, I have a choice of who I hang out with, not just because my circle is for, you know, I'm Jewish and all my friends are Jewish and we all have our holidays and that's all we do and we live in a neighborhood and and that's how it should be. Maybe questioning and saying, well, I'm actually making a choice for that to be my community. Right. And what would my life be like if I didn't make that choice? And what would the world be like if I didn't? This reminds me of what's about to happen on Saturday. And it helps inspire me because on Saturday, we're taking my daughter to gymnastics for the first time. Awesome. And we got we got a welcome email. She, you know, she's not even two yet, but we got the welcome email that said, here's the parking garage. Here's this. Here's that. Girls should wear a leotard, spandex shorts optional. Boys wear shorts and a t-shirt, shorts with an elastic band. And like, like, why? Why <laughs> any of that, right? Like, none of that makes sense to me, whether they're 16, 18, 25, 2, or, or 0. And, you know, at the moment, I was a little fired up and I was ready to go 
go cause some hell. Burn it and down. then of course, <laughs> then of course, three days later, you know, I've calmed down and it's like, well, do I, but no, I, I need to say something because I need to help understand their choice. And is it just a choice of habitual, um, behavior or is it a conscious choice of, of actually wanting to facilitate that type of ecosystem, which I would like to believe it's the former, not the latter. But, um, you know, in my mind, it's like, do I want the confrontation? Do I want the confrontation? But at the same time, my choice, I, I, I've got to do it. And you you help inspire me. You you said it like, it's not about thinking it, it's about doing Mm -hmm. like what, even if, even if it's that's a choice because the thought it's like i mean there's so many times like where you know i could sit and be like that was a really messed up thing to say like people say crazy things all the time the choice is to be like dude what did you mean by that you Mm -hmm. know like how did you think that affected me does that make anybody feel good no not in the moment but maybe afterward when they see that we can still be friends we can still have a conversation we can still you know and we can still disagree i mean my boyfriend nick and i we are like totally he's military very disciplined, very, this is how things go. And that's it. And I'm all like, we're in the wind. And we have tons of conversations about, we have to meet in the middle on just about everything. And it's the first relationship where that's been the case. But I feel like that facilitates so much growth, having Mm -hmm. those conversations. Like I could just have been myself and happy with it, but now I'm better for the conversations and, and, and seeing the other view for not like, you know, even to like talking to the gymnastic teacher and they're like, well, it has to be this way because X, Y, and Z. And you're like, really does it? But yeah. even having that conversation and seeing where they come from will help facilitate growth on both ends. You know, yeah. like, you know, I don't want to be, you don't want to be coming off as a judgmental, like, you right. know, leftist that just wants yeah. to change the whole yeah. world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. You, know I mean? like, you don't want to exactly. come off like that, you know, but it's yeah. just like, Hey, you know, I have this concern. I mean, cause I've had to have conversations like that, you know, all the yeah. time. Like I work in film. I'm a black woman. Like, dude, like it's like, I, but it doesn't, it's not about like, oh, you're wrong all the time. You know, right. it's just really about yeah. do we need, do we have to do this? What do you, what did you mean by that? Like that has become very recently like the most important phrase in my life. Wow. What did you mean by that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, when I feel myself get uncomfortable or hurt or agitated, it's like, wait a second. Why am I, like, and I'm internalizing it. And Mm -hmm. then I usually respond off that. And it's like, wait, I could just ask them. What do they mean? Exactly. And that's what I, I learned that with all my confrontations with my lovely man. Like, like, I would have thought Mm -hmm. that that was all these different things. And then I had to be like, let me just ask the question. What were you trying to say? Because I thought you were saying da 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 da. Were you trying to say that? He'd be like, no, I was trying to tell you da da da. I'm like, oh, okay, word. Because I'm telling myself all these stories off of stuff that has nothing to do with her or the person I'm in a meeting with. Yeah. It's like, it's not even fair. It's not to the person. And so, like, you you could be coming into this gymnastic thing and you're like, they might have just forwarded an email that has been forwarded for 500 years. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, and they had no yeah. thought about it. They changed yeah. the date and they changed like the address because they That's moved. It. Right. And they didn't uh. think about like anything else that was in that email because they've been sending it from the beginning yeah. of time, you know? Yeah. And then just to ask like in that way, like, oh, you know, like I was thinking about this and it just made me think like is that something that's really important to you all like if my daughter or if i had a son and i put him in a leotard would he not be able to participate um and see what happens because i think they'd be like oh shoot like yeah my yeah like, no think that way, you know? turn, turn off your assumptions yeah and, and listen yep yeah you're 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 making better choice like social justice and equating that to making better choices like I would say I've always thought of social justice more as laws and yeah. regulations mm-hmm. and like we need to treat people better as a society. But like actually thinking about it from an individual point of view is actually quite kind of liberating. And is it, it even to that situation, it's like maybe they've never thought about I'm their sure. impact in a greater context because no. nobody's even asked the because question. Because it's really about your communities, right? We've just become yep. a global community. So yeah. if you think about it in small little spurts, like how do I interact with my boyfriend? How I learn to interact with him is how I then interact with my boss 
or then how I interact with my, you know, child or the gymnast or the teacher or the whomever. And I think it's like, if you start making those individual changes, then you, then because what I realized is when I started making a change in the way I communicate, the the people who communicate back have to make that change. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it, you can't, they can't communicate. We can't have that same discourse if one person changes it. And so it happens like that on a, on a bigger, on a bigger scale too, in my opinion. So like, and when you, when you impact your community, which is smaller, like your first is your family and it's your community. And then maybe it's like the city and then it's the state and it's, but it, I think it comes from that way than the other way because people don't like to be told what to do. So Mm -hmm. the more you try to tell people, this is how you're supposed to be, the more resentful of that way of being they would be, even if they were fine with it before, before you said it. Yeah. Like I'm one of those people. Like their idea. Just because you say it, I'm like, oh, no, I don't want it. You know, so it's like, I'm like that. I'm I'm completely like that. It's like, you. T- I have to do it like this. I'm not doing it like that. Oh, I have to do it. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. I'll, I'm going to figure out another way to do it. That's just like more complicated and more ridiculous. I'm going to do it that way because you told me I had to and I just can't deal with it. And so I think for me, t- not imposing that on other people is very easy because I don't like that to be imposed upon upon me. But like, I see that it makes a difference. You know, like what, how I interact. Like, if I wanted to control a situation, controlling myself is probably the best bet. Yeah, um, and it's the only thing you can control, right? Yeah, At the so end of the day, <laughs> you know, when we think about social justice, we often think about the external and all of the other things around us that are wrong that you can't change in any given moment. So, I mean, to Rodney, to your point about liberation, it's it really is. It's like okay. Just make better choices. Yeah, it's like recentering the focus where it should be. Like you said, it starts with you and then your family and your your neighbors. Like, how do you treat your neighbors? How do you treat people down the street? The person walking down the street. Their experience of you then becomes something, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. The dad that has a daughter that's like, but if I was coming to gymnastic class, I would want to wear a leotard. Like, that experience of you with, you know, that affects every, you know. So, yeah. So, I think, yeah. I think making better choices because it is social justice at the end of the day so yeah. it's really about how we treat each other how we socialize with each other so, yeah so tell it mel like we like to go into people's backgrounds like understand like mm-hmm. you're in movies and, and, and tv and like mm-hmm. you're you're hot shot all that <laughs> cool stuff but like where'd you come from like where'd you grow up like how'd you get into it um i i grew up in richmond virginia so to the south we are northerners or east coasters and to the north we are southerners so i from the very beginning of my life have found myself in a very precarious you know environment where we just didn't know who we were in in virginia you know we could go from red to blue in a in a blink of an eye um so it which i think is good because it allows you to kind of be whatever you want to be um and so I, my dad was a preacher and, or is a preacher. And my mom um, is a retired teacher. Um, and so storytelling was a big part of our lives. Just going to church every Sunday, there's a new, new story being told. Um, and so that's kind of, I think, where the, the genesis of my love for storytelling, I saw how impactful it was. And I look at it as a way um, of like a mode, a modality of healing, even though that's like weird um, sounding, I think that is very true. Um, and cause I saw how the words and the parables and the things that my dad was saying on, on the pulpit were healing, you know, and whether you believe it, you know, whether you're a Christian or not or whatever, I think that story is just like the moral kind of code that comes, um, in and kind of rides in with, with these interesting stories. They touch people. Um, and so I think that's where I, I saw it how powerful it was um, as a child and in different ways I've been trying to figure out how to tell stories and how to make that kind of impact Um, and so I went to Howard University and I thought that I wanted to be a photojournalist and just another type of storyteller Um, and that didn't work out because Howard wouldn't let me double major in photography and journalism really Mm -hmm. so I ended up doing documentary film what do you mean they wouldn't let you? Like, how does how does that conversation? They're go? like, you can't do you can't double major in these two from these two different schools because the school of communication was like the umbrella that journalism uh, fell under, and then um, photography fell under fine arts. And so, I guess the way that it worked, 
there, there was no like way for me to take enough classes in four years to get everything I needed the way the schedules worked or whatever. And they weren't like trying to accommodate that at all. Hmm. Are you so, glad you went into doc documentary film? Yeah, it's the same thing. I was like, you know, this is the thing. You, would you make some lemonade out of lemons or whatever? And just be like, okay, mm-hmm. well, moving pictures, like documentaries, is the same thing. So, fine, I'll just do that. And that was in School of C. And then I still got a minor in photography. Um, so, and like a, like a fake minor in African-American studies. I think I had enough credits, but I never declared it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Then after doing that, I moved to Thailand because I really, another thing that I really loved was um, anthropology um, in school and the study of people and cultures. I mean, a photojournalist would do that. You know, like, it's just like what I love. So I did a lot of um, anthropology classes too in school. And so I wanted to go to Thailand. I wanted to go anywhere. So I went to Thailand um, because I like the food. And, and then I taught English there for a year. And then I came back and um, tried to enter the world of work. So I went to Discovery Channel and worked as a tape librarian, which is the most boring job you could ever have in your entire life. Oh, God, we sling tapes. Like, librarians sling books. Like, I'm your pusher. Yes, like, literally, like, Discovery Channel is this big conglomerate, right? Like, they don't actually make everything. They have, like they co-produce things with producers who do like most of the work. So you get the videos in and you kind of file them in a vault. And then the the library sits in the editing kind of post-production vicinity. And so like the editors and the producers, you know, who kind of just really run post um, will say, I need this video that has this clip on it. And then you got to find it on the computer. Oh my God. Horrible. And then you got to go in the vault and get it out the vault. And then they go and they just slap a Discovery logo on it and, you know, whatever it is. What did that, other than probably making you want to, like... Rip your hair out. That sounds like a <laughs> clockwork orange, yeah. like... Yeah. But, like, how... What did you learn from it? Did you did you learn anything from it? Other than that's not what you wanted to do with your life? That's a big lesson. <laughs> yeah, I learned that for sure. And I... You know, I, well, I had a really interesting experience there. I mean, we... I'd come in at, you know, from, you know... Thailand. I had a degree in film and, um, and I had like, and I was a fiery, I've always been a pretty fiery girl. Right. So I remember we were all temps and then they like decided that they were going to make everyone full time. And you know, you had to apply to be full time. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm gonna try to be a producer. Like I'm gonna, they're like, you'll fly for any job you want. I was like, I'm gonna try to fly to move. Right. Which they said was fair. Like we could all do. Um, but I guess it made my boss upset. And so when it came time for everyone to become full time, they kept me as a temp. Oh. And the two guys that just started working maybe like two weeks prior became full time. And they were like, we didn't have any to make you full time, whatever, whatever. And I was not having it. I remember being like, and I think maybe that's the beginning, like, of just like me being who I am, like in that environment. Cause you know, I've never I had a job, job like that. I was a teacher in Thailand, like, you know, like, so like it's a big corporate structure and it got their HR people and we have a big Thanksgiving dinners and whatever. But I was like, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh, this is not going to work for me. And I was mad. Yes. So I, I decided that since I was a temp, I could decide when I wanted to come to work. That's how it works. <laughs> so, that, so that was your response? Yes. Yeah. So okay. They- <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. I got to hear more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, you know, and like it was a kind of family oriented thing. Like you know, y- like you, every everything was there. Like if you need to go to the doctor, there's a doctor there. You know, it's like it's meant for you to have to come to work. There's no reason why dry cleaners they wash your you know wash your car. They're like there's no reason why you can't come to work. They make it so that your kids can be dropped off there. So so if you're not coming to work, it's like completely intentional because there's no reason. Even when you're, they prevent you from being sick. If they hear you sneeze, they say go down there and see what's wrong. You know, like I've you know. So I just was like, I'm just not going to move on these days. I'm do whatever I want. Like, you know, I didn't understand money and like, I mean, and, and like I had, I've always lived be- below my means, for, I think for this very reason. And I continue to do so. so I can do whatever I want. Right. So I could, like, I could literally not go to work. I can still pay my little bills, like my little $700, you know, apartment, whatever. And it was fine. 
And so I got a call from my boss, and, he, and oh, and I didn't come on my birthday. This is my birthday. I'm not coming in. Like, so they were noticing it. I was like, I'm definitely not going on my birthday. I'm going to have fun. And so they, so he, like, I think they had got, like, a cake or something, and, like, I didn't show up. So that, like, really made him upset. And he was like, you know, we need to have a talk. Like, you've been coming to work, blah, 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 blah. Like, and I was like, yeah, like, I've been coming to work because I'm 10. And then he was like, what does that mean? I said, well, I feel like it's a demotion. Because I've been working for like this long and doing all this stuff and people who have not been working for as long. And then uh, then I'm good at my job, right? So they trained me in one job. Then they trained me in another one. And I was doing three jobs. And I would just like float around doing three jobs. Like if somebody left, I'd be there. If somebody And like so I knew I had all the keys to the castle. I'm like, you guys, I'm the only person in this department tra- trained in all three jobs. Like I have to do promos and da-da-da, whatever the things were, and documents. And then you keep me at a tent. That's so unfair. And I don't have to come to work if I don't want to come to work. And you can fire me if you want to because you've already demoted me. And then they were like, we didn't demote you. I was like, well, it feels like a demotion because I didn't get any explanation on why you would do something like that. And I'm talking about we're sitting there with, like, the head of the library, my, like, manager and some other guy. I don't even know who he was. And I was just like, you know, like, what's that about? They were like, well, you apply for another job. I was like... Who stays in the library and wants to be in the library for the rest of their lives? Uh-oh. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> no, none of them. Oh, none of them. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like all of them, yeah. moved, like all yeah, of them agree. had moved on. I was like, there. Yeah. I was like, this is where you start at this company. It's not where you end up. Right. So why can't I make it known that I'm interested in that? It's not like I don't do a good job. It's not like I'm not doing my job. Like what I shouldn't be say? penalized for that. And they would just kind of sat there and they made me full time. Like, so yeah. what what prevented you from having that conversation at the beginning? Because I think I didn't think that they would listen to me. Because I I did have it. I said like, how come I didn't? And like, I got some la- you know lame excuse like, and, and it wasn't like I made everybody come, but nobody would come to that meeting. I was like twenty one years old and da 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 da. So so like I said like, how come everybody else got it and I didn't get it? And they were just like, we can't. You know, they gave me that lame excuse like we didn't have enough room for everyone. So I was like, all right. Oh, see you when I see. I'm going to sip my tea in. And that's what I did. I went home. I like put my it's, feet up and watched my, my show. It's yeah. my birthday. Like, it's and my then birthday. they were just like, come on. All right, fine. And so they gave me, they gave me, you know, what I wanted. Cause you know, it was like benefits and all the things you're supposed to have. Real quick. We can't gloss over Thailand. So my mom taught English in Taiwan for oh, cool. a year and the experience was very, it was great. Mm-hmm. But she said the first six months were really hard. Yeah. Um, but what was Thailand like? Teaching English, uh, you like the food, you learn about the culture. Yeah, I loved it. I think um, it wasn't. It was. Hard. It wasn't. Like think about. It, I don't think it was that hard. But I also think the further south. This is my thought about the thing. The further south you get anywhere, the more like, for lack of a better word, hood they are. Like a little more loose, a little more like like more like and maybe it's because it's hotter every time when you go more southern like less uptight less regimented less structure like i feel like the further you go south the mentality just the mentality of the people and so they were warm i guess southerners are warm like here and everywhere i feel like i was in the yeah i did i just i feel like so i feel like of all the asian um, countries where some like with Japan, like very strict, very regiment. There are all these rules, and like you could offend someone so quickly by doing you know anything that you know. It wasn't that type of environment there. It was like give me a hug, oh. <laughs> you know, like hey, like southern right. hospitality. Yeah, yeah, come and eat. Come, you know, come in my house and eat. You're from another place, like yeah. come with me. Oh, you're walking. Did you want me to drive you to where you're walking? Like that type of thing. So that was really nice. And then also like getting there. I, um, you know, I didn't know any, any Thai and I didn't know anybody. And I think it really, in terms of like coming off of an HBCU and like being around like all black people and, you know, this very homogenous situation to then going to Thailand and being the other was a very interesting experience, like going back to back. And it really, for me, like opened my eyes to how alike we all are as, you know, quote unquote Westerners. Like I couldn't read anything and you know, couldn't talk to anybody. And I was obviously, you know, typically not a part of that community, but so are white people. 
And so when we would see each other, it'd be like, what up? Oh, you speak English? What you doing? You know, like, where are we going? Like, you know, now we're together. Now we're fine. You know what I mean? Um, and just, yeah, the expat situation. So I, I thought it, would, it, it really, like, sh- shed some insight on, like, how you can get really stuck in the mud here in the U.S., you know, and for all good reasons. But, like, when you take a macro view of it, like, we're so much more alike than, like, we think we're, like, we would much, we, we would much more rather be together than not. I promise you. You know what I mean? Like, I would have died had I not had, you know, my white, my white friend Lindsay from Ontario. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, we needed each other. And, like, when we saw each other, it'd be like, oh, man, like, what are we going to do? None of us eat McDonald's. We're going to go to McDonald's. You know what right, I mean? Because right. it's just like, oh, it's like home. And we just miss home. So we're going to all go. We're going to go get pizza, you know, because we eat Thai food every single day. So I think that was really, I, that was my more in common. I think it's traveling, I've heard it said from other people, but I tra- I got to travel like right at the end of college mm-hmm. to like London and Spain. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the best experience of my life. Yeah, because like, it just because like everything that I thought I knew that like, was culturally acceptable, this, that, and the others, like you get turned on the head. They don't care about any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they're just, I mean, you know, because in Asian culture, you could just fart, like you're really? just like, and that's it. You don't even acknowledge it. I, 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 I want to ask a question because I think this is a really interesting um, mention that you said. The you were describe as you described. Southern Thailand as hospitable, welcoming, laid back, relaxed. Your first word was hood. Yeah. Which generally has a negative connotation in the macro sense of America. Yeah. Help uh, dig into that a little bit. Yeah. So I really, maybe that's my problem, but I look at, I don't see it negatively. Like no, that. I hood. think this no, is it's great. Not a problem, though. Yeah, like no. it's that that kind of like in my mind the hood mentality. There are some things like that happen when you because also um, Thailand is not as rich. You know, I think it's sometimes maybe they have to make the trade off for having the great weather for not having as much money. But like a lot of the times when you go to the south of any town or any place, like you know South LA, South you know any South side of Chicago, whatever, they're usually more impoverished, right? And so the hood mentality in general, there are some things about that, you know, like having, having lack and maybe some scruples, like just some moral codes that kind of, you got to adjust to when you, you feel like, make do. yeah, you and, you, make it yeah and, and feeling like you have to take from someone to, to have whatever, you those survive. are, you know, survival techniques and, and tactics. That's part of, you know, the hood situation. I think that's what we talk about the most, but it's also about being like, a part of a very strong community. Like, and those are all the things that I described, like being, you know, like just having actual human interaction because you need each other so, so much. Even if you don't like each other, or even if you'd rather not, like you got to watch my kids, you know, I got to, we got to share a shower or whatever. We have to do it. Like we don't have any other choice. And I think um, that's how it was like in Thailand, you know, just everybody kind of worked together and had that. Cause it was, it's a place, I mean, the tourism is what, helps them exist but they as a country they don't have as much i would say as others and and the same thing with like you know any hood and i tend to live like in those neighborhoods because i like to know my neighbors and i like to rely on them and i like to you know so i look at it i mean you know like like i live in south la i lived in south la i was like oh you live in the hood i'm like yeah okay yes i like living in the hood I, I love that perspective because it, it like literally when you think about it like that, you talk about making better choices for social justice, like changing the perspective, even just introducing a different way of thinking because it's, it's very much a sur- like you said, it's survival, but it goes back to our roots as people relying on each other. Whereas now we can go to the grocery store you know, live in well, our we own can, place. Never had yeah, that. We, we can, can be very can self-sufficient. Bring us our groceries, and we never have to walk in. We never have to ask for butter from our neighbor. Yeah, I get that, that. That's I get it. it. Yeah, <laughs> um, but no, but it's true. Yeah, and and we don't that's depend true. and rely on each other in most circles, and then we end up getting stuck in our own little bubbles worlds. and things. But in those communities, they don't have the commodity. They don't have those commodities. They, there's no Amazon Prime in a hood like that you know so people are well, I'm going to the store you want me to grab you something right you know mm-hmm. or what you doing oh oh my kids are going I'm taking my kids to the pool you want me to take yours too it's just that type of thing because you know 
you need you have to you have to partner. And I remember hearing on NPR like a long time ago that there was this um study about how the poorer you are, the more philanthropic you are. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah. It's no, true. That, that's true. Statistically, like, that's we, yeah. we had a guess actually. So that's the hook. Yeah. So basically, you're saying, you know, you're saying that the most giving, caring, loving people are the people who live in the hood. Like that's what you're people saying. With the least, are giving the most. They are. So that's what it is. So, I, know. I like. So it. Thailand was like that. Um, it is. It's a good pickup, Keith, because I, I I heard it, but I didn't really think about it. And then you think about like, you know, corporate environment. People are like, oh yeah, I want to be there. That's good. But like, there's tons of negative stuff that happens there. There's tons of backbiting, backfighting, infighting, people taking. Like, oh, oh, there's yeah. a whole bunch of negative things that people don't associate with it mm-hmm. that are there. Because when they're groups of people, we all tend to behave pretty much the same. Right. Yeah, totally. Because we're all people. We're all humans. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I wanted to ask a question real quick on HBCU. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Vice did a thing, and I'll send it to you later. Oh, um, Lord. On this white dude that was, I, I want to say Howard. We should, we should fact check that. So, it was just a story about him. Uh-huh. And I think the university highlighted it, saying, hey, like, you don't have to be black and come here. And so there's this whole thing about uh, admission numbers and like revenue for oh. HBCU. So they're reaching out outside the black community oh, on yeah. purpose mm-hmm. to stay around. Oh, yeah. And that so I know. there were, so Vice did a piece on it and they had a piece where they were interviewing students and some were like, yeah, no, like, I don't want white people here. Like, this is a safe space for <laughs> yeah, me because yeah. the rest of this country is not. I can, I can see that. And then some were like, well, Whatever. why not bring yeah. them in? Like, if they want to be here. And then some people were like, but what if he's taking a scholarship from a black kid that could get in here? Mm-hmm. And then the teacher. Because they tend like, to get them. I mean, you know, from the actual His, his all name way. is Tiago, and it's at Tiago. Morehouse College. Morehouse. Morehouse okay. Howard. That's it? almost the I'm same kidding. thing. Yeah. It is. <laughs> They're like two of the big, you know. Wow. It's really, it's really cool to like, and and this particular dude Tiago, it's like he's bought in like to the, like, the culture. He, he's that cool he, white yeah. dude. That, like, he's like he gives he's, tours like, he, yeah. and he, he really with all black dudes. Yeah. yeah, he has a he has a consciousness. He's just not yeah. going to get a full ride or something. Right. Yeah, I mean that's interesting. Like, um, I remember maybe five or six years ago seeing an ad for admissions for Howard, and it was like a blonde haired, blue eyed girl like smiling. And that was Only. getting passed. Yeah, like her and maybe two other kids, but they were all white or majority white. Like, it looked like I was like, this is not it. What are y'all doing? Like, it was not, I did not, because it's not the represent, like, yes, I don't have a problem with white kids going to, to Howard. But I think that just like I don't have a problem in theory with gentrification, like, I think diversity is fine. But then you have to, whoever's coming into that space has to buy into the culture of the place. So it has to be presented that way. So like, fine, you want to come to Lamar Park where they have a drum circle every Sunday, don't call the police. Like you want to move here because the house, you know, like that type of thing. Like, yes, diversity is good, but then you can't make a judgment on what it is. You've got to be a part of what it is. And you have to be, you have to know who your neighbors are and figure out what the neighbor, like what your community wants before imposing these ideas. And it's the same thing about Howard. So I feel like when they did that, it was a signal too, because there have been HB, there are HBCUs that were HBCUs that are majority white, yeah. that exist already. When things like that happen, the spirit of why that space was even created in the first place, I feel like is disrespected, yeah. um, and that is a problem. And so to like put forward like a photo like that signals that we're willing to change who we are, like why who we, we are, are so that we, we can still exist. And that's problematic. So it's for you, it's not about welcoming anybody into the space so long as the space is representative of what it's supposed to be versus changing its identity to accommodate who's not in it right now. Yeah, for money. Because that's what it all goes down to at the end of the day. Like when it comes to gentrification too, you know, like you want to come to an HBCU? Come on. And then like... Learn about it, be like. a part of that experience and take what you've learned outward. But if the organization itself is wishy-washy around how it wants to represent itself, how would they do? Then what's different? what's the point? So did you did you grow up in an, a hood environment? As I use 
air quotes based on no no not at all like i never lived in the hood at all like you know my you know we lived in the suburbs like we 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 went from one kind of we went from like kind of country suburbs where like we were the only black family um and they would have those um those like uh people who stand out and you know you know those little stat the figurines and they have like the light and they're like the black men holding the lights. Oh yeah, like uh, there's a name for that. Yeah, I can't think of the name. Yeah. But everybody would have a black man like holding this. Did you have a white one? No, we didn't have one at all. Um, but it was like that type of environment. And then we moved to another like all white because I also think that like that was like what you did at the time. If you had some money, you just like went away as opposed to like when we were forced not to. Like we all influenced each other. So like a doctor would live next to a janitor. So the kids might end up being a doctor. The janitor's kids might end up being a doctor because they saw one. And so I think that was sad. I think that's sad. And I, I think that's why I have a, um affinity toward, to living in those spaces because I feel like when you see something different, when you see it, it becomes real. Representation. You know, yeah. like they say, like, you know, you take kids to, you know, the study, but when you take a kid to like Harvard, they end up going to college, you know, like just not maybe to Harvard, but they end up going because they see people that look like them. So I think that's why. So I've always lived in like that type of environment, except for now um, that I live in Topanga and it's and, and each place comes with its own set of challenges. But with Topanga, it's like I can't have my daughter live there. She can't be raised there. You, you, you mentioned intuition and female intuition, women's intuition. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, like, what, what's your thought on it? Because I, I agree. I think we all have more intuition than we, I think we've, like, coached it in Western society. I feel like we've coached it out. Mm-hmm. And I think some of this I, this mindfulness craze or whatever, mm-hmm. like, thing is about trying to, to yeah, yeah. But what, what do you, like, what made you bring it up? This is a real thing. And it's useful. And it's helpful. And, like, I haven't been using it. I work, I'm a producer, you know, you know, most of the time, right? Like, and I feel like even as a director, you have to use your intuition, right? But like, as a producer, this, it's all facts. It's like money and time and all things that we've constructed, but are real things. And manipulating those real things takes a lot of your logical mind. So a lot of the times, and if you get in a room and most of the other people in the room who are producers are working with money and time are generally men. So if you get in the room and be like, I feel like we should do X, Y, and Z, nobody cares. Like, I just feel like it'd be better if we, if we shot this film in Florida. I just have that feeling. I feel like it. Sometimes I do. And I have to back up those feelings with fat, some type of fat. And so I just think that for me, it, I realized how important it is and how like, tied to our survival it is but also like tied to how we connect to each other like like we have intuition about like who we like or who, who we connect to and who we we have feelings about things um and the more we ignore them the more trouble we get into i feel like so and i think that women tend to just have that uh we have we i think we're born with it or it's kind of imbued with us because like what is childbirth but an intuitive act you can't really control any of it and the more you try to control it, the, the worse it feels it gets, and the yeah. worse it gets. And the only thing you have to do is you have to trust that it's going to be okay and feel it out. That's all you can really do. So we're kind of innately born with like the ability to do it because we have to do it to like give birth to children. And I think because we can't turn it off as easily, we kind of get penalized for that. Hearing you say that, it's like, it's a, it's a whole bunch of stuff because it's like, I feel like, because men have it for sure. Uh, yeah. We all and, do. I mean, you talk about fighter. But we're fight. taught, yeah, I mean, I, I, we're, we're like, all the culture taught. I grew up growing up in, like, we were taught not to. Yeah. Uh, I was taught, like, those feelings aren't good. Like, you're not supposed to mm-hmm. honor those. And, and then if somebody else does, especially a woman, then, like, that's an invalid thought. Yeah, like, or like, you're hysterical, or you're overly emotional, or you're um, being um, outrageous, or. No, whatever. it's, it's, the, it's you know, funny because I actually had this thought the other day. While I was sitting by myself, because trying to channel those emotional connections to existence that we all have, right? And <laughs> Rodney asks me, and you know, some of my closest friends say one of my superpowers is making good decisions. Like, why? It's, it's there's no 
there's no nothing else guiding me other than it's the right thing to do. Like it, it feels right. It's the right thing to do. I know it's right. <laughs> this isn't some analytical you know it decision. From a different place, right? Though. Like it's yeah. it's not some analytical decision based on facts and details. Like this is the right thing to do. And you think about I. It, it's a fascinating thing for me why we we expect a lot of people to just don't say I feel that way. It may be wrong that feeling sometimes, but accepting it and acknowledging it and understanding it to see where it goes rather than ignoring and suppressing it. You think about creators, like artists, they do everything by feel in so many ways about how they experience life. And a lot of artists are very successful at living or financially successful or whatever it may be. And it's not because Mm -hmm. they sit down and analyze this tree and say, well, this is you know, this symmetry and they start measuring it and bringing out their compass and say, this is going to work perfectly for the human eye. No, they just do it by yeah. feel. Like my, my stepdad's an uh-huh. artist and he does this all by feel. And it's just, and it's an unbelievable component of our existence that we have the tendency yeah. to suppress for capitalism, capitalist reasons, maybe. I don't know. Which is strange because like there's a book, there's a book called uh, Real Artists Don't Starve. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think she's a painter and she talks about like, there is a business aspect to what she does. And then there's also the yeah. art and the feel. And I think people think of artists is like all feelings. And then like, if you're in the corporate world, you're all, but there's a healthy balance to be struck. Totally. Has to be right. And, and to your point yeah. about women, men have the tendency, well, women are feelers and don't bring that into the bay. It's like, well, you can feel too, dude, you know, and like yeah. enjoy it, embrace it. Cause it, if we if we all do it, it'll make us all better. I promise. Well, yeah. I mean, that's just a, that's just a talk about toxic masculinity. You know, it's been for so many generations, men have been cut off from that, from because they chose. You know, like because I mean, setting the culture has decided that this is how we differentiate ourselves from women. Like these are all the things, and the things that women have that we don't have, or that they have more of or excel at, are going to be bad. And the things that we have that they don't have or they don't know so are going to be good. And so what happens is, well, anything that women have that, because we, we do have a natural, more natural inclination toward it. Sure. Yeah. We're going to say it's not good. So then anything that's like that, then you're more like a woman and then you're not a man. Right. So it's that, you know, it's very much a scarcity mindset over an abundance. And, and then just a communal thing, like partnership. Can we be partners? You know? Yeah, so I think it's, like, you know, it's like, how, you know, what do you think? How do you feel? Like, why can't we just say that? Like, and we do that a lot. I'm like, what do you think? And then how do you like, feel? I think that, well, I'm like, well, I feel like, yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it can be both. And we somehow figure out what the, but yeah, like, I think you can make a lot of money using your intuition. I do it all the time. I know what projects not to take. Because the, there are times where maybe there's a project that's $8 million, right? There was one that's $8 million. And they're like, hey, we need you to come in and do this thing. And I felt it out and I was like, no, nah, it was a train wreck. It's a lot of money. It wasn't worth it. So, and I, and then there's other things where I'm like, no, I'm telling you, this is going to be it. Yeah. And it doesn't look like it's it. I just have a feeling. And then it is it. And it goes in, that, that was dear white people. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's, intuition, if you listen to it, you can make tons of money. <laughs> like, I think it's just a, a male female thing, really. Well, how do you feel about the word masculinity? Not toxic just, masculinity, just the concept of masculinity. I like it, and I also carry a lot. I feel like I carry a lot of masculine energy. So I think it's just a, just a. I mean, in terms of like, if you if you think of things like energetically, it's just like a, a certain way of being, you know. So I don't masculinity in itself is very necessary. Obviously, like I think it, it I think it does fall into line with like being a little more action oriented, maybe being more logical, being more like, you know, process oriented. Um, I think all, anything that embodies that has a more, just a more, more masculineness to it. But that doesn't mean that I can't embody that as a woman. This has been a topic of conversation of late because I'm, I'm with you. I actually, I struggle with the words themselves because of their connotation in society. In the world. Masculinity yeah. is a male thing. Femininity is a female thing. When yeah, at the no. end of the day, they're really just words to help us define a construct of behavior. Yeah. Like you just said, yeah. the energy. I love that. 
but I, I, I have a lot of very, what you would call feminine emotional qualities. And, you know, I might not embody what it means to be a masculine guy, but it's not a male thing because yeah. at the end of the day, you're a single mom. Like, yeah. <laughs> my, you know, my mom was, was a single mom, right? Like, yeah. you know, you got to kind of wear all hats at the same time. I, I struggle with the words because I, I think they, they, they are applied to the gender or the sex, yeah, but they shouldn't energy. be. Like my big old Marina in there, he's very, he has, he holds a lot. I mean, he wouldn't let me tell you. Is he over there? <laughs> yeah. But he's, I mean, he's not listening, but he's good, but he's like, you know, <laughs> feminine as hell sometimes, like energetically, you know, like, you know, and he's, I mean, and he makes really good choices. He uses his intuition. I feel like even better than I do sometimes, you know, like he'll feel something out telling you and i'm like no that makes no sense right i'm thinking like up here he's like and i'm like no so i know i don't and we switch spaces like we don't i don't expect him to be whatever you know whatever that masculine thing is and and he doesn't (laughs) he can't even try to expect me to be the embodiment of total femininity it's not possible for any person we have both of those aspects inside of us i feel like i love that I think it's just been to your point about toxic masculinity and and where Keith was going with the word I think is it's been weaponized by the patriarchies of the world mm-hmm. to say, all right, men have these qualities, mm-hmm. these are valued. Mm-hmm. Women have these, they're devalued. Mm-hmm. So that's the way it is. And then amplify that over hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh well, she can't be president because she has feelings. Or maybe she's going to have a baby. Well, don't we need that to exist in the world? Don't we need people to give birth to, like, for us to exist as humankind? Like, why why are we being penalized for that? So, I want to talk about the Merc Park. Because I was fortunate enough to see that premiere. Like, it was... I re- I really I've seen it. I've seen the trailer and I'm I'm so fascinated by the egg thing. Yeah. Oh. Episode <laughs> one. But I wanna like I I'm like I'm so interested in this but continue, Rodney. It was your Well your it's funny it's like listening to this conversation mm-hmm. and then having watched that, I'm like, Oh, okay, I can see Mel in here. A oh little yeah, bit. yeah. Um but the I w I I don't wanna give I hate I don't like spoilers, but there was a conversation over dinner. The dinner date. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like during that whole segment, mm-hmm. I was extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> I laughed out loud, and I was just like, "Yeah, like I've had that dinner date. Like my wife and I've had that dinner date with mm-hmm. friends, where mm-hmm. it's just like, it's and like the way you captured, like the way that was captured, mm-hmm. I was like, man, this is real. Like this is mm-hmm. this happens. Yeah, and I felt it." I'm glad. I'm glad it came off. It rung true because I mean I think that's the most important. I mean, how, that was how, the most important. How does our audience access Lamert Park? They don't yet. Oh, oh so that's so why hard. that goes back to the beginning of you finally of found somebody being able yeah. to get see that I was I wasn't putting it all together. Yeah, so. that's it. It's just it's just um, I think. Everything has a thing, you know, every, people, like, some people are slow moving people. You know, you got that friend, you're like, can you pick up the face? Like, I'm outside 30 minutes later, like, that's you. So, that, Lamert is like Rodney. In this, in the sense that it just is moving at its own pace. There's nothing wrong, you know, and I don't feel, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with it or wrong with how it's moving. It's just moving really slowly so so it's interesting and this is just a pure curiosity because it's gotten a ton of publicity you were obviously you know featured at at sundance yeah Um, now you're going to toronto i imagine it's it's all there too well toronto's another movie uh different so what 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 causes this to happen and Rodney, I was just kidding about you being this, this slow. It's no, just, I am. I was I, thinking that as you were asking he, the question. He looked guilty. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm just, yeah, I was like, that's me. I'm just hyper paced at times. Um, me too. So like, so I'm just like, Lamert, come on. I mean, I think there are so many things that have come into play. Um, part of my thought though about the project itself is it might be a tad bit ahead of its time, like just a tad bit. Like maybe it'll catch up in a, like a year and a half or something. Like maybe it's just people aren't ready for it. I think like people have said, and I don't literally do not think that it's that sexual of a movie of a show. It's not even that much sex in it, but like you I've got Game of Thrones. Exactly, I've gotten <laughs> I've got that it's too well. 
this is what I think it probably is. Black bodies are seen in certain ways and it's made comfortable, like in the ways that make the people who have money comfortable, right? And black bodies have not often been seen in the ways that I've portrayed them. Um, and specifically around sexuality, which is important to me. So, um, when you see a black woman having sex in a show and you can like literally go like close your eyes and think of all the movies that you've seen, um, you're, she's usually bartering. She's usually having sex so that she can have something that she wants, whether it's, she's actually just a prostitute or she's using it as a tool to get something or it's violent. And so, but we got here, I know I got here by two people making love, oh, right? Yeah. And we don't get to see that happening between two black people. And we definitely don't get to see us like seeking it and wanting that for ourselves. And that's what Lemur, a lot of what Lemur embodies is just not just sexual pleasure, but in general, these black women look, looking for pleasure and going after the things they want, the things that make them happy, things they want in their lives. And so it's kind I think it might be a little confusing for people who haven't seen that and don't know that in their daily lives, which happen to be mostly people of money and they can't figure it out. So to them, it's too sexual. And all this stuff is like, it's too sexual, but like I've seen black bodies do way more sexual things. Like, I mean, you go on, on power or something like that. They're always having sex, but it's in these kind of like, well, weird. and that's to your point about it being too potentially ahead of its time. Like I, when you said it, I shook my head. I was like, no. And then I started thinking about it. And it's because it, it doesn't fit the narrative. Yeah. And the thing that I, like was the most refreshing about it was you represent black people as we are. Like mm-hmm. just, and it's a very beautiful thing. And it's like, it's kind of sad that I had to sit there and be like, finally, mm-hmm. like, oh, we're just normal people. Like yeah. we have jobs, we have friends, we have relationships. Yeah. And like, and I think, and it's like, it is kind of like there's a skill in there because it unapolog- uh, unapologetically does that, uh-huh. but it does it in a way. It's just like, like very frank and very honest and it doesn't threaten. So like yeah. if I was, I imagine, I guess, I don't know. I, I was going to say, if I imagine I was a white dude watching it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be um, threatening to, to like who I am. Yeah. It'd just be like, oh. oh, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Because that's how I see myself. Even a living Topanga, like as a black woman, it could it could go wrong if I didn't. It's just like how, what I am. Like I'm being me. Mm-hmm. That happens to be a black woman, and I'm very proud of that. But that doesn't mean that I can't sit and have coffee with you as a whatever you might be. Right. And so that's I, I'm glad that that came across because that's what I want. It's like we're just living our lives, and it's not about you. I think that's the other thing. There are not a lot of white people in the show, and they exist in the way that they would in black people's lives, which are people of power, like, you know, my boss, my this, my that, but you're not coming to my house, right? Like, you know, or, or, you know, the people moving into my neighborhood, right? So in a lot of ways, the people with money are white people, you know, these big, you know, companies are ran by white men and like, they don't see themselves represented anywhere. Um, And so I think that is also problematic um, for the show because, People want to see themselves. They'll pay money. And if you if you already have a lot of issues or a lot of blocks where you can't see my humanity, and then you see me as a human being in this in this show, you're like, dang, like you confused. It's just like, what? Like, are people gonna get like? Yes, I like it, is. but I don't know. Are other people gonna like it? Like, they're just regular people in this. Like, they're not poor. They're not, you know, they're not this. They're not that. They're not all the things. But it's fun and it's this and that. So I just think that you know, people, it's. It's just like, if it could get out into the world, there could be money made for all parties involved, but it'd have to get it's, out. It's fascinating because your comment to, to your point, Rodney, about it being ahead of its time, Sex in the City, you compare it to, you know, you, could, you call it the black sex in the city, uh, was considered ahead of its time, but it got picked up and became this thriving enterprise yeah. because it's you know, five common white personalities of mm-hmm. very differing backgrounds and different, per, you know, goals approaches to life and yeah. goals and all of these things. And that's what you're trying to represent to show that 
it's it's the same experience. Like we we all experience we're all the life. Same. We all want right? to. We just fun got different. And- like we just got different skin color and like pick up my TV show because it matters. <laughs> you know? And other people, because it's like this is thing when I showed it, white men love it. Yeah, yeah. white women love it. Black people like it, yeah. so. But the but the bean counters are like I just don't know. Like there's no gangs. I just don't know how we can. Exactly. So it's 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 that thing. It's like I know what it is. I created it for a very specific reason because I believe it should be out there. I believe that it will be. It just got. I just have to wait for its time, you know, and not push it out. Like I don't want to do anything that would harm it, and like because I need for me, for my ego, for it to be out so people can see that I'm a director and I can get another job as a director or whatever. Which, like, sometimes I do. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I want to direct more stuff, and no one's seen what I've done, so nobody knows that I can, and how am I going to... But I think it just... So, what, to- so what you're saying is you you don't want to take the approach you took in the library. You want to yeah. be a little more patient. Okay. <laughs> so, I want to try something different. Yes. Yes. As you talk about sitting around the table with white men, trying to convince them, like, this is how we should move this project forward, mm-hmm. or dealing with men in general, like Mm -hmm. as two guys with young daughters. Oh yeah. That's awesome. And wives Mm -hmm. that are trying to operate very intentionally. Mm -hmm. What what kind of advice would you give us for like how we operate in a way that's more conducive to healthy work relationships and friendships with women that. Oh, that's a good, that's a, whoa, that's a really good question. Really good question. So, so, um, I would have to say, listen, I think that's probably the most important thing above any of the other things. Like, listen, I mean, you could be an ally and like when somebody gives you the check and the woman's paying, make it known that she's paying for this. I think that's nice. And that's great. And that's, and that's a gesture that goes a long way, but above all of it, you wouldn't know to do that if you didn't listen. And I think, a, like, a lot of times when you get into these rooms, I experience all the time, you get over-talked. They just talk right over you. It's like you're not there. And with a name like Mel Jones, they think I'm a man before I arrive. A white Jewish man at that yeah. most of the time. So, um, it, so they, like, actually see the woman, like, look at their eyes. So, even if they have big boobs or other wonderful qualities look at them and listen to them and i think if you just i mean i think if anybody did that with anybody we'd be but be intentional about it because it's so easy not to and we're all trained not to do it even like sometimes you see little boy children doing that to their moms because you know that their dad's doing that so two things i recently had an experience with a co-worker in like we were in miami and um, after the meeting, she was the only woman in the room. She's a white woman, but she's the only woman in the room. And afterwards, she's like, oh, a couple things made me feel uncomfortable. And my immediate response was, oh, well, that wasn't that bad. And then I was like, wait, wait, explain to me why that made you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then, like, we were, and it was three guys and her talking. And, like, after that whole conversation, like, I just sat back and I was like, well, how can I say that that wasn't that bad? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's a shame. She said it made her feel uncomfortable. Right, because what, like, in the dynamic of this, like, era of patriarchy and all that stuff, everything that we, we say is looked at as less than, or like, we, we're, we're making everything, we're exaggerating, right? We're always exaggerating, right? So then we're often exaggerating, because always would always be an exaggeration. It would be an exaggeration, yeah. So, so like, and if you think about how many times you say always about your wife or, you know, if you just try to take that word out of your vocabulary and not just immediately go to, this is how you are, you, always you know, so, but like, you know, I would definitely say like, just really try to hear what's going on and not have like, listen to it. So like, not be like, oh, I know what this person's going to say because they're this, that, and the third. And I'm just going like this. And you haven't even heard what they said. And I think that's just really hard. I mean, that's hard for all of us. Like, I think women need to do a better job of it too. But I think in the power dynamic that exists right now, it's really important for for um, men to do that. And I think that if you're intentional about actually like listening and then listening to that thought so you don't have it again. Like you literally, like that's the other thing, like 
when you think about all the thoughts you have in a day, they just kind of, you know, cycle through. But if you can like start to like hear the thoughts, like, you know how people talk about negative self-talk or whatever. But if you think about those thoughts like that you have about women, just like, like a, like, like the Spitfire, just like the ones that are just rolling in the back of your head, like while you're like brushing your teeth or whatever, and you start to pick, then you can get rid of them. Like not being so self-righteous that you don't think that you're having them, I think is another thing. It's like knowing that like I'm conditioned to be this way because this is the thing it's so interesting as a black woman to see it happen on both levels because you'll have we can say as a i can say to my black male friends what white people are doing right and they can hear it all day long but then when when i tell you what you're doing it's like nah 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 nah. and it's like well wait a minute how is it possible that this could be the construct that happens between black and white but it couldn't happen between a construct that's older which is male and female but like somehow they're bought into it. I mean, because we're, we're bought in, right? Yeah. So I think it's just that you know, that's always it. Always trips me out. Like we'll be on the same side until it's like, but then you gotta do this. Like, don't be so self righteous to not think that you're not bought in. Like that you're not conditioned because we're all conditioned. So with the Mel thing and people thinking that you might be a Jewish white guy or a Jewish guy, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, do you get to see the moment when they <laughs> <Yeah>. realize? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I get that yes, sometimes because I, I sound white on the phone. Yeah. So people, or some people think I yeah, sound white on the phone. Yeah. So they're like, so they're like, you, you, no, you can't be the. They usually look for him to come behind me, like I'm his handler. <laughs> I'm his You're his assistant. Yeah, I'm his you assistant. Right, like, yeah. They look for Mel, and I'm like right here. I mean, then a black man's done that to me. Like it's not like, yeah. you know, like, and he did it for like 15 minutes. We were all talking at the table, and I thought that we all were aware that I was Mel. So he's like, and he's Mel like, coming? he's like, we we still waiting for this Mel dude. <laughs> and I was like, oh god. <laughs> oh my god. So, Mel, thank you mm-hmm. so much for taking this time. You're extremely busy. Yes, thank you. Everybody's busy, but thank you for taking some time. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, you've left a lot of great nuggets, but we'd like to ask uh, if you would leave, if you wanted to leave one thing with anybody that's listening, anybody that gets a hold of this, what, what's the one thing that you would leave them with? Oh, I don't want to say anything cheesy or anything or something. That's not cheesy. <laughs> okay, really, though. I mean, uh, I would say, like, um, I mean, okay, it is cheesy, but it's the truth. Like, and, and my daughter always sings a song, so it's always in my head. But you know, the "All You Need Is Love" song—it's yeah. really true. I think, like, if you could just start with yourself and realize that you're not perfect and that you you're gonna really fuck up royally a lot of the times, and if you can forgive yourself for those things, you can forgive everybody else.